If you're here, you've already done something right. Congratulations by tuning into Planted Never Buried, your one-stop shop for joy and justice from Black Gen Zers. And as always, I'm your host, Randy Richardson. Today's episode is going to be different, as per usual, of me testing out new ideas as I go and seeing what works, which is pretty much how everything in life works. I had a whole episode planned with a guest booked and everything, but decided to postpone it until next week and use this week to verbalize an ongoing storm currently in my life. I'm a private person, so opening up and uh, being vulnerable and really sharing myself does not come easy to me and is downright uncomfortable. And even while I was planning what I wanted to say and as I talk now, I get more and more uncomfortable just at the idea of so expressing myself in such an unfiltered way about me. As y'all know, I talk a lot of stuff about a wide variety of topics, but never have I turned that microscope onto me in such a public way. But I'm a proponent of growth and that usually comes from stretching into something new. And so I'm here for that. And I'm I'm happy that I've challenged myself to this, but also it's chaotic that now I have to live up to it and, and do something that I'm not completely comfortable with. As all the regular listeners know, I'm a news associate at NBC, and I'm a part-time graduate student at Columbia University's Graduate School of Journalism. NBC is great. My workload increases every day, which means my supervisor trusts me with more responsibility. It's such a collaborative, open work, open dialogue environment in which I can learn, thrive, take risks, and really make the most of my time. And then there's Columbia. I have never attended an academic institution that has such a disregard for its students where deans protect professors, even when they're in the wrong, instead of supporting students. As I grow tired of taking time and energy to craft email after email and schedule Zoom after Zoom meeting, basically telling the administration how trash my professor is, I wonder where to draw the line between advocating for myself in the face of administrators who have made their position clear versus just letting go and accepting the status quo despite not having every despite not having everything I need to succeed in my program. Headlines are coming up after the break and I'll share specifics as to what's happening at Columbia and where I'm at on the advocating throwing in the tile spectrum. The Los Angeles Lakers won their 17th title Sunday evening after besting the Miami Heat. Amy Coney Barrett's confirmation hearings exemplified how truly divided this country is. I mean, it is night and day in terms of lines of questioning from Republicans in comparison to Democratic senators. They moved to a um, full Senate vote on the 22nd which notably is also the date of the third presidential debate, or I guess the second, since the second one didn't end up happening and there were two competing town halls, but that's another discussion for another time. One-on-one is on Netflix. Now this isn't breaking news, but I've been rewatching the show and it is so refreshing to see a young father raising his teenage daughter and just seeing how he parents her and talks to her brings me joy. Now on to why you tuned into Planted Never Buried today. The too-long-didn't-read of my experience at Columbia University's Graduate School of Journalism is that I hate Columbia. 
And I don't even use the word hate. This is the first time in my life where I've truly said it and meant it. And I don't even say it. And I have never really said it until now. Columbia is the most unaccommodating, inflexible, and anti-student academic institution I have ever attended. I remain shocked at how little they care for students. The administration doesn't care about students at all. It's not centered around student needs or student voices. The smallest things take so much effort and I still go without. Most recently in a circus of events, I learned I was at risk of failing one of my classes. This was news to me. I didn't even earn my first B until college and that's the lowest grade I've ever received. And then this past Monday when I met with the Dean, she had the nerve to tell me I was in good standing all along and that's just how they communicate to students to raise the stakes so they take it seriously. What? Like, actually what? <laughs> Twisted, I know, more details to come. To be as transparent as possible, I'll start from the beginning, which dates back to this time last year. And honestly, y'all know it feels like an eternity ago given everything going on, but that's when God blessed me with the opportunity in the first place. And wrapped up in this Columbia saga is how I ended up at NBC, which is high key something I've been meaning to share anyway, so it really works out nicely. Okay, so boom. Summer 2019. I was pre-law, writing my personal statement, and well on my way to applying to law schools. That summer, I was actually working at Uninterrupted at the time, and I was in L.A., and I got a word from God that I would only have to apply to one law school because it would accept me and I would go and that school was Columbia. And so I, I believed the word, but I didn't really commit to the promise. I was like, okay, God, I'm just going to apply to nine law schools and you still get me into the one. Cause you know, that's just crazy talk to have only applied to one because you know, what, what if, what could happen? So I applied to nine law schools. I planned to do a JD MA journalism program. And the only school who I applied to both the JD program and the master's program was Columbia. Everywhere else I applied was only to the law school and I figured I'd apply to the journalism school after I got accepted into the law school first. So towards the end of senior fall, actually it was more so in the beginning. No, it was like midway through, not the point. During senior fall, I got my rejection letter in the mail from Columbia Law. So of course I'm thinking, first off, why are you going through so much trouble to mail me a physical piece of snail mail. Like why not just email me, especially if it's just a letter of decline. And I was so confused and really questioning myself because God told me I was supposed to be at Columbia. Am I doing something wrong? Am I not supposed to go to law school? God, where are you? You told me I'm supposed to be here and they just rejected me. You keep your word yet. I, I, I personally am being rejected right now when you said I'm supposed to be at Columbia, right? Just all these things that we tell ourselves and we communicate to God when things don't go our way. So going into senior spring, I finally came clean with myself and admitted that I did not want to attend law school, which is true. Cause even while I was writing my personal statement, it was a fight to answer the, why do you want to go to law school question? And I ended up just pulling something out of thin air that sounded good enough, that good enough to the point where I had convinced myself it was what I wanted, but thank God for some soul searching and some prayer and some worship before I spent literally thousands of dollars on a degree that I didn't really want. So anyway, senior spring, not going to law school. I was all set for un uninterrupted to hire me back in a full-time position. And one of my connects at NBC who works in the talent development and recruitment office told me to apply to the news associate fellowship program, 
which was more or less a dream job for me, right? But then this little thing called COVID-19 happened. And all of a sudden, I had no post-grad plans due to hiring freezes, delayed timelines, and just the overall, you're a great candidate, we'll keep you in mind when this virus blows over. And clearly, it has not blew over. And then in March came my acceptance letter to Columbia Graduate School of Journalism. To be honest, I forgot that I had even applied, right? It felt like a complete opening of the windows of heaven over my life. And I had always planned to go to grad school. Um, and I had always planned at some point to go to Columbia. Cause like I said, I had this word from God and it said only apply to one school and you'll get in. That turns out was not the word for law school, but it was about a journalism school. And so the problem though, is that I wanted a job, right? I never wanted to go straight through, maybe do grad school part-time on the side while working, but I didn't have a job offer. So here I am, you know, forced into this option of choosing Columbia back. And why should I, you know, not do so just because the world decided to have a pandemic and I wanted to pout about my job offers drying up or my job leads drying up. <sighs> but when your back is against the wall, it's hard to see just how trash everything is. And with every Columbia interaction, the least, the less faith I had in the administration. I heard, and now I know it to be true, that Columbia did not care about its students. And obviously coming from Brown, I was not accustomed to that at all. So for example, at the height of the pandemic, you know, financial crises, health concerns, Columbia still expected students to pay the $1,000 seat deposit fee. This $1,000 is not applicable to tuition funds, is non-refundable, and basically is just securing your seat in the class. And they refused to extend the deadline at the time it was due like May 30th or May 1st or something, refused to extend the deadline. They refused to reduce the cost and they refused to make the $1,000 fee. I can't emphasize that enough. $1,000 fee, they refused to apply it to tuition fees. They were also being incredibly reluctant to grant um, deferrals until the next academic year. And it's, it's like they were going out of their way to make matriculating to Columbia as difficult and as unaccommodating as possible. And I start thinking to myself, gee, if they're this inflexible and unaccommodating while the world is literally dying, God knows what their regularly scheduled programming is like. But again, I had no options. I begrudgingly paid my seat deposit and became a lion. So alas, Columbia continued to bully me and there was nothing I could do about it. The good news is that I spoke to former students who agreed the administration was anti-student, but said the professors are great and support you through thick and thin. I looked forward to this part of Columbia after experiencing so much of the bad part. Now tabling Columbia for a minute. In June, realizing that I had never heard back from the news associate program, I asked my NBC Connect why I wasn't selected, just assuming I didn't get the position. I had applied in January, it's June. You know, y'all just don't want me, but I do want the feedback for when I apply to future positions. I thought maybe there were some inaccuracies in my, in my application, which is a big no-no in journalism. So my Connect called the next day saying their timeline was thrown off to COVID. They plan to still interview the candidates that would have originally, um, who they would have originally offered the position to and whenever the timeline is back on track, they'll be onboarded. 
And she specifically said, rest assured, you were in my pile. Thank God. So in July, I got an email saying I'd advanced from my first round interview to the final interview round. And that's crazy because I never interviewed in the first round. Just my connect was looking out and I appreciate that. Thank God for favor and for people going into rooms, speaking my name when I'm not even there, don't even know what's happening behind the works and over here thinking that I got rejected. I took the interview, obviously, and my connect called a few days before to give me the skinny. Thank God for provision and for going ahead of the way and making it so that my travel is as easy as possible. So she basically said, yo, Randy, these are the big wigs. There'll be eight interviewers and it'll be a firing round. Make sure you're up to date on current events, the news of the day. Um, when they ask if you have any questions, do not ask any technical questions about the position. Save those for me. Ask those Randy Richardson questions. I was like, oh my goodness, thank you. Yes. Thank you for the skinny and also for knowing that I can do this. And I remember telling God before the interview and really after too, God, I want this. Now, if it is not in your will for me to have this, then don't bring it at all. Because if NBC offers me this position, you know, I will take it. And if my rejection is my blessing, which you have shown me before, show me in this moment right now. And so I told my family, they got to praying. My mom has a prayer call with the, uh, the extended family. They got to praying before the interview, you know, for grace, for favor, whatever, all of that. And I went into the interview buttoned up. I mean, eyes dotted, T's crossed, belts and suspenders as professional and prepared as I could be. And by the end of the interview, <laughs> one of the interviewers was like, okay, you can exhale now and you can relax. So I was thinking maybe I was too stuffy or too professional, but there's just no such thing, um, especially in this industry. And I remember in the firing round, it was legit question after question. You know, the predictions say that the presidential election winner, the the nomination and the winner will be delayed. Why is that? Uh, what's the biggest news cycle, the biggest story in the news cycle right now? And just all of these very pointed questions, one after the other. I felt like my head was under the guillotine and it was just slowly dropping until the end. But thank God I survived. So I wasn't for sure if I was ever going to hear back from them. They said, we'll let you know early next week. And the interview was on a Thursday. So I'm like, cool. So on Friday, I decided, no, no. On Friday, the day following the interview, the Holy Spirit told me to keep my phone volume up. And this is important because my connect had been calling me like for the previous seven, eight days. And I usually missed it because my phone was on silent. So Friday, you know, 9 a.m. comes, 5 p.m. goes. And I was on Brown's campus at the time heading to the main green. And I was about to turn my ringer down. I was like, OK, I'll do it when I get to the main part of campus. And so I'm thinking, you know, it's the end of the workday. Everybody's gone home for the weekend. I'll probably hear from them next week. And while I was leaving uh, my sublease where I was staying, my phone started ringing. It was my connect. She had called to offer me the job full time, full benefits, 401k matching, company computer, company phone, just all these bells and whistles. And it's just, it felt like such divine confirmation because I had been praying for this. God knew I wanted NBC's position and it, it was for me during that season of my life. Oh, but what to do about Columbia? 
I was ready to walk away. I mean, I've made my position clear on this university. But my sister, uh, Ronnie, who y'all heard from last week, <laughs> reminded me that I was all set to go to grad school and wanted the additional ca- uh, education and how much of a privilege it was to walk away from an Ivy League education. And even though masters are obsolete in my field, I'm still a young black woman who needs power when I walk into a room. Plus, if I did decide to go back to school in the future, I would have to reapply. And if I just went now, I wouldn't have to do that. Right. So I'm saying it nonchalantly now, but it took a lot of prayer, a lot of reflecting to come to the conclusion to just disenroll as a full time student and enroll as a part time student while still keeping my full time NBC job. And even now, I still don't know if doing both was a word from God or me wanting it and just saying that God wants it too. Maybe I should have just cut my losses before dropping, you know, half on a $100,000 program. But both were such blessings from God, right? NBC and Columbia both came through prayer, through favor, through provision. And I definitely know God wanted NBC for me. And it just seemed almost wrong to, to back out of Columbia, knowing that God had moved for that opportunity as well. So I gratefully accepted both. And it's just so ironic because I've been fervently praying mainly for others for a move from God in a new way and in a way that we know it's from God for this specific season of our life. But okay, so I know NBC and Columbia is from God. And I know it's for this season of my life, as I've said. But I don't know if NBC came up so that I could opt out of Columbia. Like I've considered transferring or withdrawing almost daily at this point, especially knowing that 2020 J school graduates landed the same NBC position I currently hold. So I'm like, yo, your graduates are ending up in the same spot I'm already in right now. How much more do you have to offer me? But fast forward, now I'm getting to the juice y'all. The too long didn't read is finally starting to catch up now. Fast forward to the start of my semester and my reporting class professor is a black woman. I was hype. I wasn't expecting any special treatment, but I did enter the class with a misplaced sense of camaraderie. And after reading her first email to the class, I immediately felt put off by her. She, she subscribes to a teaching model I reject, which is the tear you down to build you up because it allegedly teaches you more framework that the older generation just will not let go of. And after several weeks in the class, it became clear that this was her teaching style. So for example, I'm not the best at original idea generation, which means finding new stories to pitch does not come easy to me, especially at this stage in the news cycle when so many stories regarding COVID, the Supreme Court confirmation hearings, the economy, et cetera, have already been done. I must've pitched over 10 stories, all of which she rejected. And she straight up told me it is not her job to assign me stories because part of my learning is developing that skill. She made receiving an assigned story from her, even just once, sound like a reprimand or a last resort punitive measure because I was not good enough. And I know that that's not true because from my time at NBC, it is just as common for editors to assign reporters stories as it is for reporters to find their own. And I'm not for sure why she's so hell bent on not assigning stories. So she just dug her heels in on that position. So I went to the second professor teaching the class. We talked, I aired my grievances. 
She assigned me a story and specifically said, there's no shame in receiving a story from me. So here I have two professors with two very different uh, perspectives of what an assigned story means. And it seems that only one was willing to work with me while the other was just bent on reprimanding me and belittling me. So anyway, the assigned story from the second professor ended up being a string of cell phone robberies in the Bronx, which is when I met old boy from the story I shared in episode 10. And then for my third and final story, I pitched a mass trend and industry story to highlight how it's boomed into a microeconomy in the greater context of an economic crisis. And the first professor originally rejected the story, saying it's been done before. Then one week before the pitch deadline, she encouraged me to do it and gave me instructions on how to approach it. Cool. This is the story I'm doing. Three days before the full write-up was due, she rejected the pitch, citing the same reason as before. And remind you, I didn't have any other story leads at the time because she previously approved this one and I thought it was a sure thing. But no, I ended up coming up with a new idea uh, with my tutor and to the professor's credit, she extended the deadline by almost a week. So I had enough time to fully report the new story. She didn't just extend the deadline for me. She extended it for the class. Had she not decided to do that, I really would have been in crunch time for those three days. Despite meeting with both of my professors the week prior, in addition to seeing them weekly in class, the only reason I found out I was at risk for failing was because my tutor told me. Again, I was shocked. So I compiled all this information and sent over a juicy, eloquent drag of a note over to three deans and copied both of my professors and my tutor. I included all of the email exchanges where the professor confirmed the story and reversed herself. And I was very direct regarding how the lead professor um, never communicated my class status to me directly, but instead to my tutor. And I ended by saying a lack of transparency is a pattern of the lead professor. I'm currently scheduled to take a seven week course starting on November or starting on October 25th with her. And I want to change to a new section with a new professor. One of the deans responded by asking for a meeting that we scheduled for Monday morning, the one I was talking about earlier. She said it was against school policy to change my class and that it was impossible and blah, blah, blah. Now I know for a fact that they can, but are refusing to. I had to press her and really pull out of her that the lead professor was in the wrong. And even then she chalked it up to poor communication, which is a load of crap because the emails could not be more clear. She also assured me that I am not at risk of failing and that I am in good academic standing and have been the whole time. She said they just tell students that they are at risk of failing to raise the stakes so they take tutoring seriously and the program seriously. Like actually what? Who on earth decided stressing out students with the threat of failing was a good idea? So needless to say, I'm still not seeing the solutions that I have proposed. They won't change my class. This failing, not failing nonsense is just undue stress. So I sent another email on Thursday with my closing thoughts and one final plea, reminding them of the mental toll it's taken on me and stating that my outlier experience can only return to normalcy if they switch my professor. Because at this point, the, the relationship is irreparable Everything is just super, all of our interactions are super passive aggressive 
and downright uncomfortable and disingenuous because she'll smile to my face and not at all acknowledge all of this nonsense going on. And I too deserve the same education without Professor Malplay that's so easily accessible to every other student. So I specifically asked for three things, for my class to be changed, for written confirmation of the dean's refusal to do so, and for a written apology from the professor. In the, after I sent the Thursday email, a couple hours later, one dean responded asking for a meeting, which I found odd because I made my position clear, I made my ask clear, and his colleagues, all of the deans, made their positions clear as well. So unless this dean had new information along those lines, we really have nothing to talk about, right? And I told him that and he respected where I was coming from. And so now I'm in a position where I've spent time and energy and mental and emotional welfare writing lengthy emails and preparing for sit downs against deans who have no intention of supporting me practically, but in theory, you know, all the platitudes and their mission statements and emails are right there with me. I was hardly sleeping at night with all this tension on the forefront of my mind and just thinking about the class, let alone walking there and sitting in my chair made me nervous as does any interaction with the lead professor. I cannot effectively learn in this hostile learning environment, which I communicated to the deans and they're still not relenting. I'm so tight about quote unquote student support deans protecting the professors rather than supporting students because it's in direct contrast to my experience at Brown. Get this, Brown actually listened to me and developed plans with me. Professors were actually interested in a collaborative back and forth teaching experience as opposed to ruling with an iron fist. I think every Brown professor believes you can learn as much from your students as your students learn from you. I'm not seeing that dynamic here at Columbia. <sighs> I just had to breathe because this is a lot, child. So all of this is the context from which I asked myself earlier in the week. Where does advocating for myself stop? and just letting it go begin. Because I'm wasting my energy talking to disinterested parties who could care less about my concerns while maintaining the facade that they're here to support me. My expensive tuition pays for these deans to serve students, yet here I am going underserved and they have the nerve to cite school policy on why they can't meet my express needs. And I even changed my ask, you know, okay, if you refuse to change the course, why don't I get an apology and written confirmation of that refusal? It's still nothing. So I'm like, okay, let me protect my energy. Let me protect my sanity. But part of me feels as though becoming silent gives them more power. But continuing to say something and going up against them is exhausting and taking up too much real estate in my brain. I can't even focus on the work I'm actually supposed to do because I'm over here fighting this ongoing loser of a battle. So I've decided to expect administrators and professors to not have my back, to not effectively communicate, to not care about students or center student voices, needs or concerns. And this is just how the program functions. Complete chaos. Columbia is not student focused. Columbia is not student centered and to come in here expecting them to be as student um, keeping students in mind as much as Brown did really just played myself for 
for this type of fall, right? And I think my feelings of resignation is the best case scenario. It took me a while to get here. And frankly, I'm still coming to terms with doing it in practice. Like after I sent that Thursday email, I slept like a rock and I've been sleeping great ever since. I had class yesterday and I didn't feel any tension. I didn't feel any nervousness in my body. I didn't feel any tightness in my chest. And when the professor looked at me, I maintained eye contact. And I think that made her uncomfortable, but I'm not looking away. You've already treated me like crap. And now you can't even make eye contact with me while you refuse to acknowledge that you treated me like crap. Oh no, honey, you gonna look at these brown eyes. Yes, you are. Anywho, back to what I was saying. So I'm still coming to terms with doing it in practice and just saying it out loud somehow brings me more peace. I'm training myself not even to get mad or act surprised when some new nonsense happens. It's a shame that my expectations of Columbia are absolutely on the floor, if not lower. It's sad. It's times like this when I question if I ever should have continued my enrollment after securing my NBC position. I had the biggest out, get out of jail free card in the world, but instead decided to pursue both opportunities. And now look at me, loving my job, hating this school but eventually loving the degree that I'll have at the end of it. And perhaps that's worth it. What I do know is that as I progress in my promising career, I will never credit Columbia for anything. I will never endorse Columbia. I will never donate a penny. I will never publicly do anything for this university. But God is still in charge and all things work out for the good of who believes. So pray for me, (laughs) y'all. I'm sure y'all can still hear some of the anger in my voice. Pray for me as I move through this season of my life. And so I just encourage all of you to use my story, uh, use my conclusion, use my thought process. Just pull out whatever parts may help you as an impetus to reflect on areas in your own life where time and energy um, and whatever other resources are readily available to you are routinely spent advocating for yourself on the same matter that may be better served if you just detached or let it go or stop fighting an uphill battle when there's no plateau on the horizon. And so with that, I end this episode Thankful to you all for allowing me to open up like this. Again, this vulnerable showing yourself, sharing yourself is new to me, but I'm feeling a lot more comfortable with it and certainly got into a swing of things as I shared my story. And if you have any comments, uh, words of encouragement, questions, whatever, the video notes link is in the description of this episode. Um, And I would love to hear from you all. I end this episode also with an invitation to join me next week for a brand new episode of Planted Never Buried.